Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. If you are watching this on the day we're posting it, Happy New Year. January 2nd, 2022 would be the day, and we hope that you had a wonderful New Year's evening and that it marked the beginning of something new, a refreshing of something new for you this year. We are starting a new series today as well. It's called The New Exodus. The word new seems to be everywhere, um, and I know at least some of us could really use something new right now. But The New Exodus chronicles these two books, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, two, two books that go hand in hand because they describe similar events. In fact, they cover the story of God's people coming back from a time of exile in the Babylonian empire back to their homeland of Israel. It's a time, it's really an old story for the people of God, something they cycled through again and again and again. They would find themselves at home with God, deeply connected to God, walking with God in a relationship with him. And then over time, over the generations, they would find themselves distanced. They would begin to lose focus on that connection. They'd begin to chase after other gods or, or find ways to make themselves happy that really had nothing to do with what who who God was calling them to be or what God was calling them to do in his name for the remainder of the world to be the example he was asking them to be and to be connected to him they weren't doing that and so the babylonian exile was the result of that it was them choosing to be spiritually distanced from god and so he said okay well then How about if you're physically distanced from home for a minute? And though that's not pleasant, sometimes I think that kind of tangible action is necessary for us to understand the gravity of a situation, right? If if you're raising your children and you're telling them what you need them to do over and over and over again and they're not doing it, at some point there has to be a response to send the message home, right? Um, and it, it could be grounding. It could be a loss of privileges. When I was growing up, it could have been whipping, right? But that's a very tangible way. But it's a way to know that you are really off course because we can think about stuff all day and you can tell people stuff all day long. But if they're not, if it doesn't become tangible and sometimes if there aren't consequences, they don't know. And sometimes that's the case in our relationship with God. So the people of God have entered this phase where they have been distanced from him and he has made them physically distanced from him as well. In the, in the first year of this happening, when the, the Babylonian empire came in, the prophet Jeremiah said this was going to go really, really, really bad. He warned the people of God just as the prophets before him had. He said, look, you've got to follow God or this is going to go bad. And at one point in Jeremiah chapter 21, he's like, Pretty much the die is cast. You have crossed the line. You've gone too far. Talking isn't getting it done anymore. There needs to be a tangible action. And so he begins to tell the story of how they are going to be removed by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. And they are going to be taken away, which was a very common practice for the en- their enemies, the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians were great at, at invading and taking over an area. And then what they discovered early on is that people would defend their home far more vehemently than they would defend something else or somewhere else if you put them somewhere else. So this was a very common practice for them to invade, take over, 
take 90% of the people out and remove them and take them somewhere else and replace them with people whose land they had invaded just previously or shortly afterwards. So they would mix things up so that you weren't as vehemently connected to your space. It was easier for them to fold you into the empire. You became less of a problem. Um, and as someone who would defend his home with his life, even to defend his children and his wife, I totally get that. I understand that completely. So they had been removed and Jeremiah said, look, this is, this, this is going to be ugly. We're gonna, he's gonna depose King Zedekiah, the Jewish king. He's gonna, he's gonna take out all of his officials, take them down with the sword, he says in Jeremiah 21, verse seven. He says, I'm gonna take them down with this, put them, put them to the sword and won't spare them or show pity or compassion. And he's not saying God's gonna do this. He's saying, look, this is what's gonna happen because you've distanced yourself from God and this is what has to happen for you, you to realize you're in a pickle. You're in a bad spot. He goes on, though, to describe how long this period will last. In Jeremiah 29, he says, look, make yourselves at home in Babylon. You're going to be there for a while. He tells them to build new homes, plant crops, start families, start a business, make this your home. You're going to be there for a while. And then in in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11, he says this, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years in Babylon are complete. So he tells them, you're going to be there 70 years. I will, I will attend to you. I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. And then in verse 11, it's a verse that I hear often as, as a way of encouraging people, and it should. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This is Jeremiah saying this to the people of God, literally as they are being picked up and removed. You're going to be gone for 70 years. Make a home somewhere else. This one's not your home right now. You think it's really easy for them to see that God would keep his promise to watch out for them, to know that he has his plans, plans for your well-being, but I'm being removed, not for your disaster. This feels kind of disastrous to me, right? And to give you a future and a hope, that's difficult to do. And so for 70 years, they would live in Babylon. If you wanna see some of the things that happened during that time, you could read the books of Daniel or Ezekiel. Those were two prophets that existed in that time. In fact, Daniel has extensive interactions with King Nebuchadnezzar and some stories about Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't exactly all with it, <laughs> but they would give you some insight into what it was like, how difficult it was to be not just spiritually separated from God, but physically separated him from him too. So in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that 70-year period is coming to a close and the people of God are beginning to return. And we're going to begin by looking at Ezra chapters 1 and 2, mostly chapter 1, and then Nehemiah chapter 1 as well, because they really set the tone for what follows in both books. If you'd read along with me, Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to start today. I'm going to read out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, 
That would be the Babylonian Empire become the Persian Empire because the Persians took over and then became the Medo-Persian Empire. More history, right? It says, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, which we just read, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a new house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver and gold and goods and livestock, along with a free will offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. And so the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. So, interesting here. God demonstrates something here in, in these books. As I said, it's going to set the tone. He sets the tone that he is a man of his word. He is a God who keeps promises. There are two promises kept in this section here today. First, the one we talked about in Jeremiah. You're going to be gone for 70 years and your people are going to be returned. And so that is exactly what has gone down. That is exactly what has happened. Now, I would admit at the beginning of the 70 years, that's difficult to see. Even in the middle of the 70 years, that's difficult to see. The average lifespan of a generation at that time in particular was considered to be about 25 to 30 years. That doesn't mean that was the end of your lifetime at 25 to 30 years. It just means you were changing generations just as we see generational change here. You know, we talk about Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, boomers. I mean, there's this, it changes every 25 or 30 years. Now it's about 33. It's a little bit longer because lifespans are a little longer. So you're talking two or maybe even three generations of people. So by the time God has picked up these people and said, it's time to return home, you're talking about at least two generations worth that have never seen this land before. In fact, the place where they are now is more home to them physically and more familiar to them than the land God had promised them that God had given them. And so I think it's telling that God says here in verse 5, it says, everyone whose spirit God had roused. It's as though God said, look, if you want to be reconnected, if you want to come back home, and, and this movement, by the way, is not just about a, a physical return home. It's also about a spiritual return home. If you want to come back to have this relationship restored, to have it rebuilt, right? To rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls of the city. This is to rebuild, as it says, as he said in his decree, the God of, of Judah, where this God exists, where he, where he resides. If you want to come home to him, I'm giving you the opportunity. This is the promise I've made and I'm ready. Come home. 
But it also fulfills a promise that was made a full hundred years prior to Jeremiah by the prophet Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 44:28, the Lord your Redeemer who formed you in the womb says to Cyrus, check this out, says to Cyrus, Cyrus, that's the king that's sending them back. And Isaiah is predicting the name of the king that will send them back 170 years ahead of time. Generally, prophets don't look ahead, or they do. That's just not the bulk of what prophecy is. But this is one of those moments where he said, no, 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 no. Name, date, time, place. This is how it's going to go down. Right? He says, my shepherd, he will fulfill all my pleasures and says to Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt. And of the temple, its foundation will be laid. These are, this is the second promise kept here. First is Jeremiah's promise. This is going to end after 70 years, and you're going to have an opportunity to go home and rebuild physically and spiritually your relationship with God. But also, I'm telling you who's going to do it. And what's of note here is it's not going to be one of you. It's not going to be one of God's people. It's going to be a non-believing king. And he's going to move the hearts of your neighbors who are also non-believers. And he's going to give them gold and goods and all the supplies they need to make this move and to make it all happen. Talk about an unexpected way to keep the promise, right? And yet God knew the plans he had for them. He knew this was how it's going to work out. And he kept his promise. That's, in fact, the whole point of this section is that God keeps his promises. He kept his promise with his people then, and he keeps them with them now. As, as Luke one thirty seven says, nothing is impossible for God. And I think that's important for us to understand is the reason he can make a promise and keep it is that unlike you and I, nothing is impossible for him. He's able to make whatever he wants happen happen and i think that boggles our minds because we can't do that because there's a whole lot of stuff most of us would change <laughs> from minute to minute day to day right we would change a whole lot of stuff if we could just make things happen we can't but god can say i'm going to make you this promise and i will keep it because nothing literally nothing can stop him from doing that he is unique in that but God keeps his promises to you and I now too in so many ways. He, he keeps his promise that if we follow him, if we choose to be with him, he has promised salvation. He's promised an opportunity to return to a relationship with him, to walk with Jesus, not just now, but forever. He has promised that salvation in Romans chapter 10. He's also said that nothing can separate us from his love, Romans chapter 8. He says he'll never leave us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. That's Hebrews chapter 13. And he also promises that one day death and mourning and pain will come to an end. It's Revelation 21. And as we see in, we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 1 in a second, it's true even when the restoration doesn't feel like it's going as we would hope it would. God has promised to restore us. God has promised to bring us back to him. God has promised to make things right between him and his people to the best of his ability. We still have our part in the process, right? 
Our hearts have to be willing to be roused. We have to be willing to go forward. We have to be willing to do the things he wants us to do. He's there. He's keeping his promises. But one of the things he doesn't promise is that it's always going to be super easy. There are challenges to overcome. There are hurdles to overcome. There is a distance, a gap to close. And he is willing to do his part to close it, but we've got to close it as well. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see Nehemiah, this is about 10 years after the chapter we read in Ezra, where he was being sent off. He was about to be sent off to, to go home and rebuild the temple. This is about 10 years later. So there's a 10-year gap here. His words say this, the prophet Nehemiah, who is still, still hanging out in Babylon. It says this, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, Hakaliah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was at the, in the fortress city of Susa, that's the capital of the Babylonian empire. Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So he's like, what's going on over there, right? We sent them there 10 years ago with all of this stuff and all of this support, and, and God wants wanting to return to them or them to return to him. And, and I want to hear, I want to know, right? He's excited. And they said to me, this is how the, Hanani responded. He says, they said to me, the remnant, that would be two groups of people, both those that were Babylonians, that the Babylonians left in Israel because they took about 90% of the people when they moved and they left a few there. Somebody's got to know how the roads work and, right? and how the money works and all those things. So you leave a few people there just to keep it a skeleton crew, keep things moving. But it also very much includes all of these people that Ezra has taken with him back. He says, they said, the remnant in the province who survived the exile, this is verse three, are in great trouble and disgrace in Jerusalem. In disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. So we'll begin to learn later in the midst of this series. When they, when they were sent back home to rekindle that relationship, there were others that did not want to make it easy on them. All of the other tribes that had been moved into those areas by the Babylonians decided they didn't want the Israelites to come back. They didn't want God's people to come back. They didn't want the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And so they made it a point, and we'll get into this in later weeks, they made it a point to make it very, very hard, very hard for them to do it. In fact, they would, they would put obstacles in their way whenever possible. They would make delays happen whenever possible. And they would even, as verse three kind of implies, destroy things as fast as they're being completed, right? They're rebuilding temple walls. They're destroying, somebody else is destroying them. Ezra and his people are rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. The people around them are destroying them in the dark of the night. And, and we'll find out later that Nehemiah has a response to that. And his response includes both action and trust that if God has promised this, it will work. In the rest of Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah gets on his knees and he prays this fervent, deep prayer 
to say, look, God, I know that we've dropped the ball. I know that we've stepped away. I know that this is not, we're not doing what we need to be doing. But I, I beseech you to keep your promise. I beseech you. You promised Moses that if, if we wandered away, we're in trouble. But if we ever came back, if we came back to you, that you would watch over us. God, I need you to keep that promise. And, and when things are not going smoothly, whether that be in my relationship with my family or my work or my God, It's, it can be really, really easy to assume that things are not right. Maybe because God can't keep his promise or decided to change his mind. The thing is, that's not even close to true. He never promises us this will be an easy road back to him. If we've created some distance... There's some tangible work to moving back. It doesn't make us better. Um, you know, we're not becoming more perfect. We can't because God is the only perfect one around. <laughs> the rest of us are busted and we are broken. But sometimes we've got work to do in our relationship with him and in our walk with God. And if we want to return from that distance, just like if we're returning from any other distance we are physically or spiritually or relationally, it's not as simple as simply showing up and having it work out okay. There are things that need to be rebuilt because that's how relationships work. It's going to require time. It's going to require commitment. And it's going to require a willingness to allow, in this case, to allow God to reshape our hearts and that takes us letting go of some things that maybe we held dear before. In the case of many of these people, as we said, they never grew up in Israel. We're talking two generations later. For them, it means letting go of this land that they called home to move to the place that is really their home. It means moving away from what is familiar to them to what is righteous, to what is where God wants them to be. And that is sometimes very, very, very hard to do, especially when it feels like the, the forces around you are against it as well. These two books and these two chapters in particular are reminders of something because I'll just let you know something. <laughs> in chapter two of Nehemiah, God answers that prayer. He answers Nehemiah's prayer and moves yet another unbelieving king, Artaxerxes, to do the same thing that his predecessor had done 10 years before, to send Nehemiah back and to make it possible for God's temple to be rebuilt and the walls to be finished. And spoiler, it gets done and it gets done in a way you would never imagine because God sometimes keeps his promises in ways that we don't understand. He kept his promise by making an unlikely young lady the mother of his son and sending an unheard of and unexpected savior to save the world. Don't be surprised if he does the same for you in reaching out for you and calling you back to him. 
But make no mistake, God keeps his promises. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.